Oh, nothing's nothing's working out right this morning. <laughs> I just tried to put the video the audio here that oh. Okay, here's what I did. I made an audio cast for my Audiomo 8, day 8. And in the beginning I had some music, but the music was playing on my phone, my device here, and this is such a learning lesson for me, all of this technological stuff, but I'm trying. Anyway, um, basically what I did was I had it playing on SoundCloud um, on my phone and decided to make an audio recording of it in, as an intro to my audio for today. And, of course, it backfired on me because, guess why? I had my earbuds in, <laughs> listening to the music. <laughs> so it was great for me, but it didn't come out very well for you. <laughs> so anyway, I just now tried to play it on the phone in the background while I was recording this on Anchor, and it stopped my recording. <laughs> so I have had, um, I've had a little bit of a, a morning trying to just get this music on, and I'm going to, so I went to my computer, and here is the intro music that I wanted you to hear to my audio. It is by Jeremiah Craig, and I found him on the audio mo hashtag. I don't know who posted him, but I like his music. Here it is. And I won't play it all, but give you an intro. It's with this Jack Swift band. Better Stay Away From Him is the name of the track.
so that is just uh, it's not the full track but um you get a flavor for that piece and i was uh, as you'll see in my audio that i'll load here uh it went perfectly for i was browsing through this uh, van gogh book i've been reading and i'll just attach that audio um but the beginning part now will have this like faint music in the background with me breathing <laughs> and then you'll hear my voice come in so just try to hang in there with it I'm sorry I'm learning and I don't know how to even edit yet on my <laughs> audio voice record thingy because otherwise I would have just cut that first part out but I don't know how yet I have to look this up and I'm just going off the seat of my pants this is kind of how I do things anyway so enjoy. Well, you just heard Better Stay Away From Him by Jeremiah Craig. I was listening to him on uh, SoundCloud. I met up. Where did I find him? I don't know. On the AudioMo, on the AudioMo group that's been posting AudioMo. I don't know. Someone 
reposted his work or something, and I've been listening to him each day. Anyway, I was listening to that and browsing at the same time through my Van Gogh book that I've been reading. I put a post on Lemur recently and uploaded it to YouTube if you wanted to hear the first one. If you'd like to support me in what I'm doing, I'm trying to... I'm trying to give insight to process, uh, painter's process, and what they do in the studio. And this is what I do every morning. I look at other work. I read other things. I look at uh, and listen to music. I catch up on the news, of course. You have to do that, I guess, a little bit. And But mainly I, I sit here with my coffee and my breakfast, if I have some, and look in the studio at what's going on in the work that is presently going on, browse my books here, thinking about where my direction is going today. And today, like I said, I was doing a, a, an audio cast on Van Gogh, a book I've been browsing and reading periodically on the verge of insanity, Van Gogh and his illness. And today I just, I was looking at, the, you know, his imagery, of course. I love his work. Um, but I flipped through the back today. Uh, there was a discussion on Facebook yesterday. I had posted his self-portrait after he had cut his ear and there was the bandaged, it was the bandaged um, image. And um, <laughs> there was a discussion on Facebook about whether I was looking for parallels with Van Gogh. And it, I guess it was a teasing way. I took it a little wrong, probably. I don't think Van Gogh was insane. He was, he had a lot of, he had a lot going on. But I don't know that he was really insane. Although, it, you know, it's suicide. I don't know, we've had two suicides in the last week. We just had Bourdain, who's 61, Anthony Bourdain, and Kate Spade, both in the public eye, of course, both very successful people. Now, Van Gogh wasn't that very successful, according to him, <laughs> or according to the time he was in. You know, if you've ever had, uh, if you haven't yet, you should look up some films on his his life. The last one I saw was the animated three dimensional piece where actually the the sets and the cinematography was all done with actual paintings. People that had painted the scenery and the sets for that film. I sat in the, I remember sitting in the theater watching that, and I, I wasn't that, I was, I had to go because it was Van Gogh, but I wasn't expecting a lot from having an animated film. I'm more in the foreign, independent type film, cinematography vein is what I like. Well, anyway... This film wowed me. I mean, it was uh, really done well, and I'm, I'm kind of going all over here with this cast today, but 
basically it told a sad story, you know? And so as I look at this page in the beginning of the last, Laura Prins, P-R-I-N-S, does this chapter about what was wrong with Van Gogh, a summary of the diagnoses. And I'm not going to read them all, but I thought it would be interesting to put these in here because this was really, this is really news to me. Here's a quote on this facing page, on the front page of this chapter. Ah, if I'd been able to work without this bloody illness. Vincent van Gogh to Theo van Gogh, 1st of May, 1890. I was in a letter to his brother. So van Gogh knew he was not doing well. And, you know, many of us in life have suffered from different illnesses and depression and melancholy and, oh, all kinds of different ailments. And when I looked at these, I'll read them in a minute. I'm going to read a little introduction. But when, you, when I looked at these, I, it was clear to me it's always more than one thing. You know, it really is in life. It's never just one thing. And I think that's what this chapter at the end, the conclusion, kind of vets out. And I'll read that a little bit too. Here's a beginning opening paragraph to this. Many doctors considered Vincent van Gogh's illness and not only during his lifetime. From the 1920s until the present day, authors of medical and psychological publications have sought to diagnose the painter's condition. Their respective analyses vary, vary according to the author's area of expertise, while also invariably reflecting the state of medical knowledge and that of Van, Gogh's, Van Gogh research at the moment of publication. Uh, medical science developed immensely in the 19th century, which saw the emergence of new disciplines such as psychiatry and neurology. There was a growing interest in mentally ill people who were no longer viewed as dangerous and untreatable, but as individuals in need of care. Many physical diseases, including epilepsy and syphilis, were expressed through symptoms of mental disorder, as a result of which patients frequently found themselves placed in psychiatric institutions. The di I'm going to skip a chapter here, or a, a paragraph. The uh, Go down to the next one. The diagnoses set out below have been suggested over the years as an explanation for Van Gogh's overall medical condition, his physical and mental complaints, and the crises. Crises he suffered in the final one and a half years of his life when he was afflicted by delusions, hallucinations, and loss of awareness. There's a um, notation there for a, a source. I'm not going to go flipping to it. The survey begins with the original diagnosis, epilepsy, and is followed by the diagnoses, diagnoses put forward after his death, grouped under mental disorders and other conditions. We conclude with a review of psychological, psychoanalytical approaches, which have focused on Van Gogh's supposed traumas and neuroses. Neuroses. 
And then it says some of these diagnoses, whether or not in combination, remain feasible while others can now be rejected. Ultimately, however, it is not possible to arrive at an unambiguous and definitive diagnosis. After all, although we have a great deal of information about Van Gogh from his own letters, those of his relatives, and the testimony of other interested parties, it is clearly no longer possible to question or examine the patient himself, of course. So I'm just going to read a couple of things they put in here. I'm not going to read everything underneath because it's very, it's it's interesting, but you know. So the original diagnosis was epilepsy, and it says in 1889, alongside the more general description of mania and delirium, Van Gogh's own doctors diagnosed him with epilepsy, which is characterized by sudden disturbances, a kind of short circuit to the brain. We know what that is. Psyche. Second one is psychiatric diagnoses, schizophrenia. The celebrated physician and philosopher Carl Jaspers proposed schizophrenia as a diagnosis in 1922, and it was based on Van Gogh's correspondence in a number of his paintings. <laughs> I love it. You know, if people decided about us by what we paint. I think it's very interesting. I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to chuckle and laugh through this, some of this because, you know, this reminds me of when I go to the museum and I, I'm looking at work and, and I happen upon a docent with a crowd of people and I hear her or he speaking out about what the artist was doing in their work. Okay, of course, you know, there's been research done. And I don't know everything, of course. No, I don't even pretend to. But as an artist, I know that's kind of mostly bullshit. <laughs> and I always laugh and I always walk away because it's kind of like there is no way anybody can know what we are saying, thinking feeling or anything when we are painting unless we write it out specifically I am now doing this painting and this is what I'm doing today and this is how I'm feeling and then you know the next layer we do it again and the next layer we do it again and then maybe by the finished end you might know what we were doing in that painting but it changes it really does I just so anyway I have to chuckle okay so that's that that was schizophrenia. I'm not going to go through this. It's like columns. They've set these columns up. It's very interesting. So I would say about a half a page for the original diagnosis, psychiatric diagnosis, schizophrenia is a half little page. And then it's, I turn the page and it says bipolar manic depressive disorder. So from the 30s onwards, psychiatrists began to interpret Van Gogh's mood swings as a form of manic depressive disorder. And... Uh, Episodic twilight states, a la Kleist. Episodic twilight states was first defined in 26, 1926 by the famous neurologist Karl Kleist, who did not believe that disorders of this kind in his patients fitted the pattern of either schizophrenia or manic depressive, psych ah, manic depressive psychosis. 
It says, although the disease resembled ep epilepsy, it was not the same. A twilight state is accompanied by reduced consciousness in which patients are still able to act, but are no longer aware of what they are doing. Hmm. goes on. Then there's cycloid psychosis. Carl Kleist also proposed the idea of cycloid, cycloid psychosis in 1926, which the famous psychiatrist Carl Lanahard further defined in the 50s. And the condition displays aspects of both schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. So you can see there was a lot of medi medical discovery going on. And they, I guess they were using Van Gogh in their, uh, of course, in their studying it. I'm just trying to see exactly when did Van Gogh die. I should have that on the tip of my tongue, but I don't. Anyway, I just find it, uh, let's see, maybe it's in the back of this chapter where it was. Hmm. It's usually in some sort of life timeline they provide. Oh, here's the original documents of some of his letters. I just, I, 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 you know, I question this so much because so many creative people, okay, he, uh, you know, depression is depression to me, and I know there's all kinds of different parts to it, but if you were like Van Gogh and creating massive quantities of work and being shunned in the art world, It's very easy to get. Um, it's very easy to get depressed and think it's life isn't worth living. Basically, uh, you kind of. I think I. I relate in some ways. You kind of wonder what the hell you're doing. <laughs> okay. Um, so here we are, cycloid psychosis. I didn't get the uh, date of his death. I'll have to find that. And then there was psychopathic psychopathy. Uh, he was re viewed as a psychopath in the 30s and 40s on the grounds of his supposedly abnormal character and behavior. <laughs> I love that too. Oh, sorry guys. <laughs> I not. I. I mean. I guess I need to be more serious about this, but. I don't have a judgment about this. You know, I really don't. And it says psychopath did not necessarily refer at the time to kind of serious, remorseless criminal to whom the word is applied nowadays. Psychopathy was a fairly general concept used to identify congenital mental, mental, dis, mental problems and could not be classified under other diseases. Psychopaths were unlike other people. They were unbalanced and displayed an innate nervousness, making them appear maladapted. The term psychopathy is no longer used in the psychiatric world. The psychopathic personality was later partially subsumed 
into antisocial personality disorder. And then it goes into borderline personality disorder, BPD. Uh, although many doctors cited character defects as a problem in Van Gogh, aside from psycho psychopathy, sorry, he was not diagnosed with a personality disorder. Well, lucky him. <laughs> and then it says other conditions. Syphilis was a highly prevalent sexually transmitted disease, so he had neurosyphilis. Alcohol and other toxic substances. He drank heavily. Uh, we all know about alcoholism. Consumption of large quantities of alcohol and all of that. Um, he drank absinthe. He did wine and brandy, but drank absinthe, the alcoholic content of which is very high, 60 or 70 percent. says additional substances have been cited as poisons capable of triggering symptoms of mental illness include tujone, extracted from the wormwood plant and formerly ingredient of absinthe. Camphor, foxglove, leading containing pigments, I sometimes wonder about all the stuff I'm breathing and ingesting through my hands. I try to wear gloves, but and I don't I don't even wear a mask. I'm really bad about it, especially in the summer. It's awful. And then there's it goes on to Meniere's disease. Described by the French physician Prosper Meniere in eighteen sixty one. It's a disorder of the inner ear which causes vertigo, tinnitus, and hearing loss. And many of us have that. As we get older, it's diagnosed only when all three symptoms are present and they cannot be explained in any other way. Since Van Gogh occasionally suffered from dizziness, Meniere's disease had been suggested as a cause. I'm going to skip down there. Well, I'm going to read the rest of this. Tinnitus might, might moreover, help explain the ear incident, and supporters of his diagnosis has have been argued that the dizziness is observable in the nervous brush strokes in certain paintings. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, never mind. I'm going to go look. I'm going to actually look up that re reference because it says it's 25. Let me look. I just want to see who, where that came from. 25. Paul Gachet Jr. to Gustave. Oh wait, that's the wrong one. Introduction to Letters. Why Van Gogh chose to, uh, an ear to mutilate is impossible to say. The incident occurred when he was in a highly confused state, and so no logical explanation can be offered. Not that this was, has stopped people from speculating. Since 20, 1928, a whole range of theories have been recorded, including a supposed parallel with an act during bullfighting. Yeah, I mean... I'm sorry, you do a lot of things under the influence of alcohol, you're upset, you're doing whatever, you probably did it. No, I'm just not even going to go there. Okay, so let's see. This, this nervous brush strokes. However, symptoms such as nausea and fainting can be equally explained in Van Gogh's case by his irregular and unhealthy lifestyle. The references to vertigo in his letters, meanwhile, are not very frequent, and there is no mention of all at all of tinnitus of hearing or hearing loss. See what I mean? 
all this speculation, right? About an artist that is just creating and is going through hell, probably. What's more, Van Gogh did not paint when he was in a confused state and his technique was too considered too considered to have been the rest of illness, result of illness, sorry. Too considered, meaning too, he thought about his technique. <laughs> I'll say the next, uh, okay, I mean, the next one is acute intermittent, intermittent porphyria, 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 P-O-R-P-H-Y-R-I-A, acute intermittent intermittent porphyria is a metabolic disorder with a range of symptoms including malaise, colic type abdominal aches and mental problems such as depression and confusion. Again they talk about those uh, substances. As you can see, there was many, many things going on with what they thought was going on with Van Gogh. Psychoanalytical approaches, rather than proposing a medical diagnosis, much of the psychological psychoanalytical literature on Van Gogh concentrates on supposedly traumatic events in his life and on his neurotic, oversensitive, and gloomy nature. <laughs> yes, we are so gloomy and we are so neurotic. And we're narcissistic and we're crazed. We're crazed and we're manic and we're not. And <laughs> Sorry. You know, I, I, like I said yesterday to this person that was talking about the causes of his quote-unquote interpreted, and I'm going to call it interpreted insanity, it's like, yeah, I lost my train of thought. Where was I? Um, he just is. You know, Van Gogh was just who he was. We have to be more accepting of people the way they are. And I, I also, I mean, it's as scary as it sounds sometimes or feels sometimes when you're on the street with somebody that's hallucinating or doing, you know, homeless or out there because they've, they've hit rock bottom, a lot of them. Some of them are drug addicts, of course. I think about that. I think about half of those people out there are probably really, really, really creative. Okay. So the last thing here, because I'm getting close to the end, is our gloomy nature. Regularly cited examples from his life include the stillbirth of a brother precisely a year before his own birth. Oh, yes, I, they brought that up in the film. I didn't know that at the time when I first uh, saw that. Replacement child syndrome. Van Gogh's dependence on his brother Theo, his relationship, or hom relationship homosexual or otherwise with Gauguin. And, of course, the ear incident. Psychoanalysts have come up with numerous explanations for Van Gogh's self-mutilation. And, you know, what are they talking about with today with kids that cut themselves and all that stuff? And, you know, it, it, it's still around. It's stuff is, you know, I don't know. It was a way of seeking attention. That's what I was going to say earlier when I was talking about it. Um, for instance, and since Theo was in 
getting engaged in the collaboration with Gauguin was going wrong, or else the ear was a phallic symbol, and Van Gogh was seeking to express his frustrated homosexual feelings for Gauguin through an act of symbolic self-castration. I hadn't heard that one before. Another suggestion is that Gauguin was a father figure with Van Gogh, turning his hatred of that father against himself in some kind of Oedipal reflex. It has also been claimed that Van Gogh got the idea from the bullfights in Arles, based on the assumption that the matador cuts off the slain bull's ear and presents it to his sweetheart in the crowd. While in fact this is not the case on, in the version of the sport practiced in Arles, other suggestions still are that the act was triggered by the example of the notorious Jack the Ripper who had recently mutilated and murdered a series of prostitutes in London, and the episode in the Bible where Peter cuts off the ear of the high priest's service, Malchus. All of these theories are, are highly speculative and either presented or perpetuated certain myths and assumptions about Van Gogh. Psychobiographies of this kind were among the sources consulted by many of the doctors who, after Van Gogh's death, suggested the diagnoses listed in this chapter. So as a conclusion, Van Gogh will always be of interest to physicians and psychologists. It is unlikely, however, that we will ever be able to answer once and for all precisely which illness it was that afflicted him. Many doctors today lean towards a diagnosis of a mental illness such as bipolar disorder, although a form of epilepsy, cycloid psychosis, or borderline personality disorder remain possibilities. Alcohol is sure to have been a contributory factor. Some diagnoses, such as schizophrenia or episodic, episodic twilight states a la Kleist, can now be ruled out while others, including Meniere's disease and acute intermittent porphyria, may be deemed highly unlikely. Most scholars today would probably agree that Van Gogh's illness must have been a combination of psychological and neurological factors, genetic predisposition, and an unhealthy lifestyle. There you have it. So... People are people, and creative people are creative people. And Van Gogh was definitely brilliant and a gen genius. <laughs>